Hi, I'm Matt. I'm Rachel. And welcome to The Tim's Take, episode 55. Rachel, welcome back to our home. (sighs) (laughs) For good or ill, it has been a little bit of an intense welcome back for you, I know, today. Yeah, it was. For listeners who may not remember, Rachel was just on a 30th birthday trip to Arizona with a couple of friends, leaving Oliver and I here at home. And now she's back from this life of independence and resort living and the only thing dictating her schedule when she's hungry or thirsty to the entire winds and demands of a 19-month-old. Yeah, it's a lot, man. He just packs a punch in each and every day. I think I forgot how high capacity you have to be. Yeah. And after four days of being on my own, I think that capacity had lowered. (laughs) And it was a bit of a awakening back. Reawakening. Reawakening. (laughs) (laughs) A bit of a reawakening back to the mom life today. And I mean, like, I missed him so much. And it was strange to be away from him. Mm -hmm. And you would send me these videos and it was like my mama heart was like expanding and breaking and all these like beautiful things because he's just super cute. And it was so fun to see you and him get to have some like special bonding time. Yeah, it was super fun. And I mean, it was really sweet to like come back to him, of course. But today was hard. Like today was on my own and I said to you at one point over the phone I'm losing my mind that was at the tail end of a conversation where basically I think my response to that was okay I'll see you at the store and we hung up because I was like there's nothing else I can do right yeah, now yeah you for didn't her. even try you were just like well okay I was like there's nothing I can do over the phone like I like he's he was clearly running around or grabbing something and it's just like okay you just need to deal with it it's interesting the contrast in our you know because i went on this monastic retreat at the beginning of the month and you've gone on this retreat i feel like i came back like kind of a little bit more ready i also wasn't launching back into like full days with him but i wonder if it's because i had so much silence and like alone whereas on your trip i mean you were busy you were doing things and that was the point there's nothing wrong or bad about that but yeah, I think I think that's true. I also think I come back and I feel the weight of like home life more than maybe you did. Because yeah, you came back and you went back to work and that means leaving Oliver, but also like leaving like home responsibilities. I came back and I like I felt behind on house stuff. I felt behind on life stuff. I felt behind on Oliver stuff. And so like I think the weight of all of that, like Oliver and being home and feeling like I have a million things to do and that I'm just behind was like more than I was anticipating. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a bit of a downer. I know. No, it's but that's okay. just how I feel right now. Like I feel just a little like crushed by no, the responsibilities I, of well, coming. And home. you're allowed to, and I know you do. If we're being honest. I'm <laughs> <laughs> good to be honest on the podcast. I guess, well, I mean, this is a conversation probably for a whole nother podcast. What I'm trying to think through is I think there's a fundamental truth in our relational dynamic that you carry more of the home responsibilities. Right. I think a question I have that we can talk about later another time because we have other things to talk about today is whether that means you should feel the weight. Does that make sense? Like, there's no denying like you you carry a lot of the responsibility 
for things, but. Yeah, I mean, they seem intertwined to me, but it probably is a good topic for another podcast. All right, we'll save it. Save it. Thanks for being honest, though. We're so glad you're back. We're, you did have a good time, though, right, while you were gone? Yes, I had a great time. Yeah. It was super fun to be with some of my, like, childhood best friends. Ashley and Shelby, who are listeners Yeah, the really, it was kind of like, I mean, I kind of thought about it not as you hanging out with friends, but kind of hanging out with fans. Like, this was the first kind of Tim's Take fan trip. If this was a business, I could have expensed it. <laughs> we could have expensed All right, let's move on. Welcome home. It's good to be with you. <laughs> well, our segment, our opening segment, our only segment for today is mailbag. Oh, I didn't know we had any. <clears throat> Pardon me. <laughs> mailbag. All right. It is from our friend Andre Yahokovsky. He says this, and I, I'm going to edit a little bit, not for language. His language was perfectly civil, but uh, for length. He says, hey, Tim's take. First of all, thanks for re-upping your contracts recently. Cheers for more of Matt and Rachel. So thank you, Andre. Secondly, loving the new Smooch Mary Kill segment. Oh, okay. okay. I like to hear that. I feel like this is a lot of potential for us listeners to find out more fun things about you guys. I'm curious about a category like fast food burger options for Matt between McDonald's, Habit, and Shake Shack. Or best vegetarian fast food options for Rachel. Anyways, love your parenting journey, your takes on life, and everything in between. Let me real quick do a smooch, Mary kill for McDonald's, Habit, and Shake. Smooch, Habit, Mary, McDonald's, definitely kill Shake Shack. Okay, moving on. Oh, Curious. wow, that's a hot take. Yeah, that was, no, nah, that's easy. Curious, <laughs> are you both Olympic people, and will we be getting a winter Olympic segment? If so, what sports do you enjoy in the winter? This is very easy, I think, for us. Do you want to respond to this? Yes, we were at a bar when I was on my trip in Arizona, and someone looks up and says, oh, I think the Winter Olympics is on. And I said, <laughs> no, that's not possible. There's not Winter Olympics happening right now. <laughs> so that's how involved I am. To be fair, our years of Olympics have been very thrown off, and we don't have cable anymore, so I really don't watch it. I I used to. I would if we had cable. Wait, it's not thrown this is when the Winter Olympics were supposed to be, right? Yeah, but because the Summer last Olympics. Olympics was so recent, I didn't think. It hasn't been two years since the Summer no, Olympics. No, no, no. Yeah. You're right, but it would have been. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. because it wasn't. <laughs> anyway, Andre, we're not we're not big Olympic people. We I think we like the idea. Like, I would happily wa- spend a day watching the Olympics, but we don't have access to it, so we don't watch it. Yeah, when I was growing up, I loved figure skating. It's just beautiful. And one of those things, I mean, all of the Olympics is just this unattainable. We've talked about this before where you're like, you can't even imagine an average person participating in some of these events. Oh, gosh, but who wouldn't love that? <laughs> and I'd, so, vol- I'd volunteer. It, it is all quite amazing. Yeah. No, absolutely. And he did ask what sports we enjoy in the winter. We personally enjoy? Yeah, I think that's the implication, yeah. Oh. No, not, I don't do any wa- water. I do neither winter nor water sports. I do very um, little sports. I really like sledding growing up. I skied a couple times and I just, you get so sweaty and cold at the same time. Like that's the worst combination. I don't, I know nothing about this. I've never skied. I've never snowboarded. <laughs> so there you go. Andre PS. He says, I think this might have been the first time that the fantasy literature was mentioned in the podcast. Oh, just want to say proud of you matt for being the one to break that door down i would have put my money on rachel but it still made me smile it's good to have the male representation in the young adult fantasy literature yeah my guess is the the reader demographic of the books that i talked about excuse very very heavily female 
And then he concludes with maybe my favorite conclusion I've read to an email. Well, that's your Andre's take on the Tim's take. I'm Andre. Till next time. <laughs> I love it. That is a true listener right there. And we look forward to next time, Andre. Oh, that was a good mailbag, huh? That is a great mailbag. Thanks, Andre. That means a lot. Warms yeah. my heart at the end of a long day. Also, I just want to go on record. Sometimes when people send in mail like this, emails, I feel like we have to then respond from the Tim's Take email account. And oh. I've done that pretty regularly. We've talked about their thing on our podcast, and then I've responded separately. And I'm just like, why am I doing that? No one does that. This is it. This is our response. Andre, we love you. Till next time. All right. Should we move on to our conversation? Yep. I think you brought, let's be honest, a much better resource than last time. Uh, beautiful <laughs> we parenting. We are going to be honest about that. A beautiful parenting essay. So I'm going to let you kind of frame us up and lead us in. Okay. This is an article titled Parenting as Narrating. And subtitle, Everyday Parents Must Decide How to Tell the Story of Life to Their Children. Written by Abby Perry in fathom magazine something i just saved actually like years ago before Hmm. i had a kid and i was like oh before you had a kid before i had a kid looking back through my resources and just found this really provoking and poignant and all the p words that are positive descriptors nice job on all the p words that are positive i like that yeah so we'll just Talk about some of the things that really stuck out to us, but I think the whole article is worth a read. Yeah, it's not that long. It's really framed by this pretty provocative poem. Uh, It's called Good Bones by Maggie Smith, which is worth opening up the essay. We'll link it in the notes of this episode and just reading the poem itself. But I mean, it just start maybe the first the first line. Life is short, though I keep this from my children is kind of where it starts. But I was just struck by like, even though she's talking about narrating the hard parts of life, the whole tenor of the piece is fundamentally hopeful. And the poem ends on that note. I won't spoil it, but the poem ends on that note, as does the piece itself, which is just, that's a hard posture, I think, to maintain when you're talking about hard things with your kids that are frankly impossible to put into words or like to capture fully. Yeah, and I don't know if she's necessarily, that could kind of sound like it, sugarcoating hard things no, in life. yeah, thank you. Where it's more the, like, both and of life. Like, when she's talking about joy, she said, there are truly delightful things in life. Mm. Some days that are wonderful, some things that are enthralling. And though it can't be every minute of every day, I want these moments for my children. And I think that's true. Like, we want them for ourselves, too. That's a really helpful posture, even as adults, to take. It can be so easy to be cynical in this these days and so i think even i mean even coming back today and having it be such a hard day with oliver we were in the grocery store and he smiled at someone this older lady and she said that is the best smile i have seen in a long time and it made my day and you're like that's so beautiful i mean it really is like the fact that he smiles at people easily is like stunning. And so mm. I want to hold on to those things, even in kind of the shadowy sides that she talks about, which I think is hard too. like hard to know how much she kind of uh, talks about how tricky it can be to decide as these narrators, how much we tell them at what age, how much we're vague about, how much detail we go into. But they're watching us and they're watching what we say and so it matters and it's it's hard it's a weighty thing i think of being a parent and trying to figure out how to kind of shape the story that our kids receive yeah and i mean one of the challenges is 
and she makes this point, we are also in these things and experiencing, like we are not outside them. She says at one point, all we can do is remind ourselves that while we are the narrators, we are characters too. And we can hold an umbrella over our children's heads, even as the rains fall, even as they are not entirely kept from the chaos. The implication, of course, being that the rain is falling on us as well, and that we need an umbrella, and we might be doing an okay job or a not good job sometimes at holding it over ourselves. I'm in a Foundations for Pastoral Care class right now, and our professor, Dan Juma Gibson, is his name. He was talking about just in pastoral care how there's there's no amount of education or sanctification that can prevent us from bringing baggage with us into any pastoral care encounter. Mm. Like, it's just, it's impossible to get beyond it. But also he talks about the the need then for awareness of what's going on for us mm. as we engage. And I think this is really true of parenting too, as I yeah, kind of uh-huh. thought about it today, the awareness. And then he talks about in pastoral care, and I think this maybe doesn't apply as much to parenting, of boundaries. And that if you don't have boundaries, then you have what what he refers to as cross-contamination. Your baggage starts contaminating their baggage. But as I think about parenting, I wonder if, and here, even in this essay, you see her grappling with the level of openness, how much to let let your child pass those boundaries. And I think that's one of the unique dynamics of a parent-child relationship. Yeah. Is, of course, of course there are certain boundaries, right? But also part of... Part of loving a child and bringing them into the world is also allowing them at times, I think, probably to glimpse some of the stuff you carry, not to carry the weight of it necessarily, but mm. to like recognize the ways that this touches us, right? That we're a character under the umbrella with them as yeah. opposed to some kind of omniscient <laughs> outside force. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah. No, I think that's really beautifully said. Just a good way of describing what it means, both to yeah, narrate the story that they're experiencing, but also to have them glimpse what we're going through and, yeah. but to not, not necessarily have to bear the weight of that, even though some, many children do have to bear the weight of that from their parents. But you would hope, I think, to shield that burden from them while, yeah. while still allowing them to see <laughs> that you're human and, yes. you know, I, yeah, that we're not, they don't, suddenly grow up and turn 30 and the world is perfect and makes sense you know i think of that song that olaf sings and grows into like i'm older when i'm older everything will make sense and nothing will be scary i think you don't want that to become what kids think either yeah right yeah for so many reasons right i mean one is just the deception of that another is like the ways like I think I I just can't imagine how hard this must be with a teenager to like do this well in a way like as they as they realize the things you carry that like I don't think teenagers have much empathy and right. so suddenly that becomes like ammo <laughs> yeah ammo exactly and so how you do this again that's like you know podcast in 12 years that so, well, very different but yeah <laughs> anyway but... all that to say I have a lot of sympathy with parents of teenagers yeah. I mean, before before we started recording, we were chatting just a little bit, and you were also naming one of the challenges, right? We are characters, but also we have to narrate things that don't happen to us. And you pointed, you wanted to share that part of the yeah. Article. She I that was talks helpful. toward the end. She says, "You know, I'm a middle class white mom. I have a great deal of choice in how I narrate the story of life for my children. I can tell my boys that police officers are safe, and they probably will be." 
you know, all these things. But that's not necessarily true for everyone. Like, I think a lot of people by default have to grapple with things that Oliver, as a white boy growing up, won't have to by default. And so I do think we as parents really need to be doing our own work in terms of making sure we're aware of the privileges we have and then making sure that, again, we pass that age appropriately to our child. But I think to make him aware that not everyone has the same like starting place of a story that he might. Yeah, this this reminded me of another thing from my my class. Interesting. I I listened to one 25 minute lecture from my professor, but there was quite a bit in there that I thought was pretty provocative. And he was talking about if your pastoral identity requires you to be the smartest person in the room, then it is not the role for you, which I think also really applies to parenting. Like if your view of yourself as a parent demands that you have to perfectly answer every question of your child, then you're going to miss out. Like you're not understanding what your role is. And I think like these areas of like talking about race and talking about just experiences that you and I are in so many ways fortunate to not have to have. Like, I think there's both our own work and there's both being educated enough to talk about it. But it also feels very appropriate to say, like, we cannot, like, we can't communicate the fullness of this to you. Yeah, nor should we. You need to listen to other, like, we need to set you up to listen to other voices, whether, you know, of all kinds. Like, hopefully that includes, like, friends and people in our life who can speak to him. Hopefully that includes sort of expert voices as well. But, like, I think... As I thought about that, I was just like, oh, it's so important that we don't become sort of, yeah, the experts in everything that he needs to learn. Not that that's possible, but it's so easy to want to be, I think. Yeah, leaning on a community that hopefully, yeah, we are pursuing that is diverse and different and interesting and makes him curious about other people and want to care for them well. Hopefully we model that for him too. Yeah. Thanks for bringing this. I feel like we're not quite... Like, he's not asking us questions. He's not yeah. talking in sentences yet. Yes. Huh. But, like, especially this final part of the conversation, like, like forming a community around us and around him, that takes years of work. Yeah. Like, even before he starts asking questions. So it's helpful for us to be thinking about now, I think. Yeah. So thanks. Really good resource, Rachel. Thanks. I highly recommend the read. It, yeah. It's really a good one. Yeah. All the peas. All the peas. It's got those. <laughs> Whew, we made it. I feel better. You feel better? Oh, yeah, it was it was an inspiring article to like the both the burden of parenting, but also the the delight in getting to help form our children and be formed. Yeah. Is a beautiful thing, even though it could take it out of you at the end of the day or year or life. <laughs> I think that's what kids do to us a little bit. You know, sometimes whether you have a podcast or not, you need 20 minutes of just kind of centering conversation, I think can be helpful, right? Yeah. So thanks, Andre. And thanks to this essay. And thanks to you, Rachel. Till next time. I'm Matt. I'm Rachel. And that is your Tim's Take.